as I get started, there's a couple things I want to draw to your attention. First is, um, th- this is a season when people's needs awaken. And we get, a, we get a better sense sometimes of the relational problems, the relational issues, the relational stuff that goes on in people's lives. It's also a time when we feel some more sickness rolling in. This is a time when we really want to be able to experience the benefits of community. We know that there's a bunch of people in our community right now who are sick. We know that there are people who are dealing with some hard things. And we don't want to just pretend that those things don't happen. This is part of life. This is the way it goes. And one of the greatest benefits of being part of a community of faith is to have the support of that community. So if you have a need that's more specific, um, let us follow up with that. You can follow, you can fill that out on the card as well, or talk to uh, one of our steering committee uh, afterwards, and we can follow up with you in that way as well. We don't want to leave you high and dry by yourself. Today, I want to make sure that we take time to pray, because I know that there's a number of things that are going on. And so we need to be aware and we need to share in that awareness. Um, so we're, we're going to do that. But as we do that, I just want to lead that up. But this to tell you, this week I was, I was away for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at our, our district um, prayer conference, our prayer retreat. And a chance that every year we go in November to, to get out of this. Not that you're bad, but that to do this well, we need to be able to refocus our hearts and our minds and to, to, to get connected again. And so that's where I was. And I had some interesting experiences happen while I was there. And I don't want to go into them, to them too much right now because I'm still kind of processing some of that stuff too. But one of the things I wanted to share with you is that in this, uh, one of the times that we had, we were praying and we were, you know, saying, God, speak to us. God, be involved in, in, in my life. I, I want to hear. I, I, want, I want some more of you, and I want some more of your spirit. And so uh, as, I, as I was praying, I don't, I don't have these kind of things happen a lot. Sometimes I'll use words like um, God pushed something on me. I've said that to you before. And sometimes you use words like vision. But vision always makes people a little bit freaked out, right? You go, oh, no, what are you saying? But I don't know a way to describe it that wasn't that way. It's a picture that came to me, but it was a moving picture. And as I was considering the work that's being done in the building, they just finished all the basement windows. If you haven't seen that, go check that stuff out, because that's exciting stuff. Um, Tuesday, they're supposed to start a new roof. Um, the masonry is done. Most of the, uh, I think all of the um, upstairs windows have all been sealed and put together. We met with an electrician. There are great things that are happening in a physical sense, and that's what the vision started looking like. It started with this idea that we are rebuilding and we're renovating, and that's exactly what we're doing. But then it sort of, it, it sort of changed, and, and it, you know, the wavy lines, blah, 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 blah. and it, it entered into this other kind of place where the, the masonry work that was done in the tower was the picture that I saw the most. And I, I saw as it was being disassembled to be reassembled, and I got this clear sense that the message was the renovation you're doing is not just physical. There is rebuilding, but recommissioning. And for a building and a place that had been not entirely, but effectively decommissioned towards ministry, this is a time that we are involved in, in the recommissioning of this place as an outpost of the kingdom of God. It is not just a building. It is a place. And the vision moved to a a beacon of light that went up from here that was in a sea of darkness. 
And that's not to say that everything is terrible around us, but that we are destined and defined by this outpost nature. That as we rebuild, we're not just trying to make you comfortable. We're trying to get our base camp set up so that our ministry to this area is established, it's settled, and it's grounded in something that we can move from here outwards. And that's the way I saw it. And now as as I was getting that, I was going, man, oh man, do I ever want, do I ever need someone to pray with me? And so I thought, what I would love to do is to encourage you again. Um, next week, I'm not here because I'm speaking at one of our partner churches. But you can still come even if I'm not here to pray. And you can come to church as well because we're going to start Advent next week. And that's awesome. Um, but the first week in December, at 9.30 on Sunday morning, if you could meet downstairs, we have a room in the, what is it, that corner back over there perfect place. If you would come and pray with me for our church, pray for me, um, that I can be able to be involved in this well, and that we would stand together and we would do something like that, I would really appreciate your help. And I would also give you this challenge to say, it is one thing to attend. It is another thing to participate, to stand up and say, no longer will I be counted as a a, a part-time attender. I will stand up and be counted as a member of this team. This team that's designed to go out and to make a difference in our community. Um, To be light in a dark place. To be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we need to do that. And we need to be centered and focused in prayer. So I would encourage, I would welcome you. I would ask you, please, come 9.30 Sunday mornings and come and let's pray together. It's not a long time, but it's enough time. Enough time for a start to get us focused. Um, So pray with me now, if you will, and we'll continue. Kind Father, I thank you. I thank you for the way that you have been actively battling on our behalf. You have gone before us. And frankly, there's times, God, that we're just trying to keep up. Thank you for the work that you are doing in us and around us. Thank you for the stories that I keep hearing and we've heard over the last number of weeks of how you have been transforming people's lives. You are alive and you are at work and you are doing it in this place and through us. And God, I'm so excited about that. To see you at work, to be part of your team, part of the partnership that has been set aside for work in Stouffville, but work that also goes regionally nationally and internationally. God, we pray that you would continue to use us, change your hearts and open our minds, that we would be able to follow you well, to chase after you in earnest pursuit of Jesus. This is our goal. This is our longing. And God, we want to take somebody with us. We want to haul somebody else along and tell them about the freedom, the goodness, the grace, the mercy of our God. We need to dispel the lies and the, resu- the, the rumors that have gone around about how you are uncaring and how you are not compassionate, how you are not merciful. And we need to just tell the truth. We need to be good witnesses of what you have done in our lives. You have changed us and you have made us new. For those, God, in, in our midst right now who are in a hard time mentally, they're in a hard time physically, God, I pray for that mercy that I've already talked about, that you would be merciful that you would bring strength, you would bring healing, you would bring a sense of compassion, that they would know that those lonely people, those sore people would know that they are 
They are so important to you that you love them. And as part of this community, we want to stand by them as well. We want to, to champion their cause and say, God, don't forget my friends. Don't forget those who are sick. Don't forget those who are hurting. Don't forget those who are in the midst of challenging times. Don't forget those who are in the midst of an exciting adoption process. Don't forget those who are in the midst of work upheaval. Don't forget those who are in the middle of family upheaval. Don't forget those who need you. Lord, we pray. Hear us today. And then, God, I ask that today, once again, that you would speak to me, that, I, that you might speak through me. And then for my friends that are gathered here as well, God, please speak to them today and then speak through them as we go forward. May these things be because you will them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um. Is this a good time to mention that we have special guests with us? Is it? Yes. Yeah, it is? Yes. Thanks, Simon. We have a couple of special guests that are here. And one of the exciting things about having some guests is that I wanted to tell you that we, li- we are part of an extended family. And sometimes we don't, we don't think that all the time. But being part of the Christian Missionary Alliance gives us the ability to partner with other churches and to partner with other organizations and with other people. And today we've got a couple of people who I kind of want to just try and embarrass a little bit. And uh, to let you know that they're here, we have uh, Kathy Clausen, who is here. She now works for our district office. And she is helping us out with uh, deeper life, with uh, the pursuit of the Holy Spirit, with the indwelling Christ, to bring that into reality in a church, but in an individual as well. So it's great to have her. And beside her is Lisa Brown. And Lisa Brown is one of our newest international workers. And the cool thing about this story is that she's still on the edge of whether or not it can happen because they haven't finished tallying the Jaffrey offering. And you remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and we had that time and we said one week we're going to have an offering and you decided that we were going to give for three. So thank you so much for your generosity. So I took the liberty of uh, when I was at the district prayer retreat to go and talk to the president of the denomination and I just said, you don't even have to worry anymore into one is in. So it's all good. And so when they tally that up, I'm sure we're going to find that Lisa has her, her way provided. But when you think about what we were talking about, right? These are some specific people groups we're targeting, but we have a team of people who goes part of our family who we, we, we see in other places, strategically placed. Lisa's one of the newest of those people. And so it's kind of exciting to be able to share that experience with you and with us. I want you to know you're part of a family. All right. Oh, yeah. Can I get an amen? Can I get a praise the Lord? Excellent. All right. Now, sheesh, I'm going to get in trouble. Um, we're, we're in week three of our series called Right in the Eye. And before we get started, not, not next week because we're starting with Advent, but the week after that, we're going to uh, talk about Samson. And the Samson story, the way we're going to tell it, is going to remind you a little bit of our, our series that we just finished before this LSD, Love, Sex, and Dating. Because um, when you learn about Samson in Sunday school, we have a tendency to talk about Samson and his great strength. But that guy has some serious weaknesses. And that's why the week is going to be called Nobody is That Stupid. So that might be the perfect week for you. 
<laughs> that might be the perfect week for somebody that you know to bring them along and to say, let's look at how you can do pretty much everything wrong. That really is the story of Samson, how you can do that. Okay, but back today, um, here's a question for you. As we get going today, think about this. Do you really want to be like everybody else? Have you at some point in your life sat back and thought to yourself, man, I would love to shoot for average. I really hope that's what I can be. I really want to have kids just like everybody else. I want to have relationships just like everybody else. Do you want to date like everybody else or manage your money like everybody else, manage your morality like everybody else? Has there ever been a time in your life when you were writing down your goals and you wrote, today my goal is to be like everybody else? Parents, when you look at your kids, do you raise them to be like everybody else? Now, at the same time, we have to look at what's true. And the truth is that for most of us, we are kind of just like everybody else. And just to help us to think about this for a moment, I want to talk about everybody else for a moment. But, but when I say that out loud, that kind of makes it sound like I'm just going to talk about everybody else. It's like a, a big gossip session that I wanted to bring you in on. That's not really the way I was thinking about it. Um, what I mean by everybody else, it's people who aren't here, obviously, because if you're here, then obviously none of this applies to you. But everybody else wants their life to look like a beer commercial. They want to look good, and they want to be surrounded by people who look good, which is why you came here, right? Because you are surrounded by people who look good. They want the sun to shine every day of their lives. They don't want to have real or time-consuming jobs. They want it to always be the afternoon, heading into an awesome evening or a fantastic weekend. They don't want to get old. They want to have plenty of money, just a little bit more. Uh, they don't want to be in debt or have any worries. They just want to be smiling all the time. That's the way our culture portrays it, and that's the way that most of us pursue life, to be just like everybody else. But the problem is that life doesn't look like that, because everybody else is worried, and everybody else is in debt, and everybody else has some issue or some difficulty, some challenge with their kids. Everyone's trying desperately to not turn out like their parents. And the more they do that, the more that pushes them in the direction of becoming like their parents. Everybody else doesn't enjoy what they have because they're so busy, so animated trying to get the stuff that they don't have. They can't stop and enjoy what they do have. Everybody else drinks a little bit too much. Everybody else has taken stuff that you don't even know about. You just think that they're happy all the time but they're really chemically happy, whether it's legal or illegal. But you don't know that. You don't see that. In the world of everyone else, single women are afraid that they will be alone forever, and so they begin to body troll. And they wonder why their relationships continue to turn out just like everybody else. And in that same everybody else world, single guys are thinking, why would I ever get married? It's so much easier these days just to get the sex and to forget about all those other hassles. I mean, does paper make any difference anyways? What difference? Why would I bother? You know what? The other thing is, no one, we haven't actually found the right person yet. So let's just keep our options open until we've nailed it down. This is the right person. You remember the right person story from the beginning of 
LSD. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that one about the right person. In the world of everybody else, the husbands and wives are both hoping that their partners are faithful because they've heard stories and they have friends. And that just hasn't always been the case. In the world of everybody else, the partners are also wondering on the other side whether or not they need to stay faithful because they know someone else who's got something on the side. And that seems to be working out well for now. In the world of everybody else, teenagers, although they'll never admit it, every teenager really does care what all those other people think about them. No matter how many times we tell them, honey, sweetheart, dude, bro, relax. In four years, you'll probably never see most of these people again. They're basically going to be out of your lives. They won't listen. And they will get up every day and they'll go through that bathroom workout trying to be just good enough for those people around them. People that they probably won't see in just a couple of years. But in the world of everybody else, that's just how high school works. In the world of everybody else, there are uh, university students who are scared to death about getting a job in an economy that they feel like they've got no control over. But that's not us, right? That's just everybody else. The truth is, everybody else takes their cues from everybody else. And maybe some of you are taking cues, your cues, from everybody else. And here's some genius work for you right now. This, this is why I make the big bucks. I want to make this totally clear to you. If you take your cues from everybody else, your life will end up looking like everybody else. Now, the big problem for taking our cues from everybody else is this. You realize, you have to stop and think that you realize you're taking your cues from their highlight reels, not their whole life. You're just thinking about them at their best. And when you watch, you just see the peaks. You see the highlight reel. You see the small footage. You see happiness and smiles. When you watch, you just see good things. They're rich. Their car never gets dirty. They always have a job. They're always getting a promotion. It all just keeps working out for them. But you don't know that they're in counseling. You never hear the arguments behind closed doors at home. You don't know that as a married couple, they haven't had sex in a year and a half. You don't know that in two months, he will check into a rehab center and be there for a year. You don't know what people are taking. You know how much they drink in public, but you don't know how much they drink in private. You have no idea what relationships with their kids really look like. We just see that highlight reel, and we kind of believe that every day is like that for them. It's just all the time. But you can never know what's going on on the inside. You look at the outside and know nothing of the inside. And today is all about the difference, outside versus inside. Happy on the outside does not mean happy on the inside. Calm on the outside doesn't mean calm on the inside. Because you can't see memories. And you can't see emotional scars. You can't see guilt. And if you had known that living like that on the outside would leave you feeling like this on the inside, you would have made a different choice. Nobody told you this because we don't know how to talk about so many things. 
And nobody told you about this, but would you have listened? And nobody told you about this, or did they? Did someone try to explain something like this to you, and you responded in life by saying, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, and nobody is going to tell me what to do. So even though you never really sat down and decided to become like everybody else, you just started living the way everybody else does. You just looked around and you thought, hey, that works for them. Maybe that can work for me too. And essentially you did what we've been talking about for the last number of weeks. You did what was right in your own eyes. So here's my question. Do you want to be like everybody else? Or maybe, maybe it would be better stated as today because we want to make this a different kind of day. Do you want to continue to be like everybody else? If not, there's good news. And I'm so glad that you came today. I'm so glad that you're here or that you're listening to our podcast right now. The good news is that there is a way out. There's a different way. Your heavenly father, not your earthly father, okay? Your earthly father might have been great. Your earthly father might have been a terrible father. You might not even really know your earthly father. That's not the same. We're not talking about earthly father. We're talking about your heavenly father. And your heavenly father is the perfection of all things father. So your perfect heavenly father wants you to be, uh, not to be just like everybody else. He wants something different and something better for you. And it's possible. It's possible. After no matter how many times and regardless of where you have been, where you have said no to him, Regardless of how many times you have ignored that still, small voice, the voice inside your head that said, oh, I don't think that's a very good idea. But you looked with your eyes, and you listened, and you went in that direction anyways. There is a way out. But to get there, we're going to go all the way back into the Old Testament. And the reason that we call it the Old Testament is because it's Old. Yeah, they labeled it like that. So this particular book of the Old Testament is called the Book of Judges. And it takes place, it starts kind of about 1380 BC. Moses gets the people out of Egypt, then he dies. Joshua takes over, he gets the people into the promised land, gets them settled, gets them divided up into their tribes, then he dies. And that sparks the beginning. It triggers the beginning of the time of the judges. And that lasts for 300-ish years until we get to the kingdom. When we get to Saul and then on to King David. So during this time period, there's no king. God wants to be their king and the judges are kind of more like tribal leaders. And they are, they're there to manage uh, God's law for groups of people, the smaller groups of people. So from our perspective in history, we can look back on this time and we can identify peaks and valleys. But seriously... Honestly, this whole thing was just a big disaster. The whole book of Judges, in glaring, ultra-high definition, just displays the complete failure of the people. It goes from okay, to bad, to worse, to downright catastrophic civil war and awfulness. And that's the story we started with, if you can remember that. The awfulness story. It all just came unglued. Everything came apart. And this book shows the cycle again and again where the people would disobey God and then there would be a disaster. And they're in crisis. Oh no, God help, we've messed up. We got ourselves into trouble again. Can you please come and help us out of this bad, bad place? And guess what God did? He delivered them. 
over and over and over again. Which means that the God that we are talking about today, the God that we're talking about in this series, the God that we talk about all the time here at Into One, that God is a God of incredible compassion. He is a God of unbelievable mercy. But he is not a God who will force his way on you. So if you do something stupid, you face the consequences. You make a bad decision, you're going to have to live with it. But he is not a God who abandons his people. So we see the cycle again and again, and we get to the end of the book of Judges, where we get to the, the verse that we're hanging the whole series on. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this was a disaster, total disaster, because the nations, they kept, or the Israel kept looking at the nations that around them, and they started to emulate them. And then they started to copy those other nations. And they, they, look, they looked at those other nations and they say, we want to be like you. And those nations turned around and put the people of Israel into captivity. And that's the way it is for you. That's the same way it is for me. You looked around and you saw something that you thought you wanted. And that thing, that thing's mastered you. That thing that you wish you had never started because now you can't stop. That thing you drifted into because it seemed pleasurable and now you, you can't get away. That thing that captured your imagination and now it's captured your time. It's capturing your money. It's capturing your will. You just can't say no. It's the same thing. These people, they looked around and they said, hey, I like what they're doing. Let's just be like everybody else. All that can be avoided. It can be avoided in your life from this point forward if we take some really simple advice. Joshua, the guy who was leading them in the promised land, right before they get in, he sets them up with some extraordinary advice that would have been really helpful, but either they ignored it or they forgot it or they just didn't care enough about it. So we're going to look at a few verses from Joshua where he's getting the people set up um, into the promised land just before he dies. Uh, and he is warning them because he knows what's going to happen. You're going to get there, and you're going to start looking around, and you're going to see what everybody else is doing, and then you're going to think, hey, let's just be like everybody else. But you can't be like everybody else because God has something better, something special for you. So here are the instructions that Joshua gave to the people as he sent them off into the promised land. Okay, and so as we look at these verses, perhaps you, perhaps me, perhaps we can, can listen and then we will be able to avoid tripping and falling and tripping and falling. Israel didn't apply them to their lives, but we still have a chance. Joshua 23, starting at verse 12. Don't ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you. There are always going to be people around you. And you're going to need to be hospitable towards them. The law of Moses is very clear about the stuff the nation of Israel had to do to be a good neighbor to be hospitable. And, and so we, we still have this problem today. There are times when we want to call all of them foreigners. They're foreigners. But we're not supposed to ever treat them poorly. It's never about an us and a them. That's not what it's teaching us here. We're, we're not good and, and they're not bad. That's not the, the way that it's set up. We're supposed to live among these people. And you're going to rub elbows with them. But don't align yourself with them. You cannot embrace their lifestyles, and specifically, you cannot worship their gods. 
You're going to be with them, but you need to differentiate yourselves from them. You work with them and around them, but don't start looking over and don't start taking your cues from the people around you. If you do, if that's the direction you move, this is, he says what's going to happen. Jump down to 23.13. They will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes. The literary pictures are so good. They are so accurate as to what will happen. It sounds just kind of like a metaphorical hyperbole, but stop for a moment and think about what happened to Israel. Think about the direction that they ended up going. Think about what happens to us when we start looking and we start drifting. When you start looking and you start lusting. When you start looking and you start compromising. When you start looking and you start embracing. Joshua said the reason you're going to move in their direction. This, this is so helpful. It's not a trick. There's no lie here. The reason you're going to move in their direction is because it's all going to look really, really attractive. The reason you're going to move in that direction is because you're, you're thinking that's the pathway to a happy ending. The reason you're going to move in their direction is because it's going to be appealing. I'm just warning you. But at the end of the story, following that path, it will lead to snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes. And this is an awesome description of what we already talked about. That thing that has mastered you. In the beginning, it was appealing, and now it's unsettling. It looked like a pastime, but it's actually become a pathway to something that you can't say no to anymore. Joshua is trying to make it clear to them, and thankfully to us also. This is the danger of looking around. God has called us. He wants us to look up. We say it all the time. Eyes up. Live with your eyes focused on God, not focused on the stuff around you. Because if you don't, then what looks attractive will eventually captivate with snares and traps for you. Whips on your back, thorns in your eyes. So just stop and think about this for a moment. Isn't it true that you would like to go back and unsee some things? Aren't there some things that you just wish that you had never seen. Some of them might have been absolutely horrible. Some of them could have been terrifying. Some of them are, are erotic. But there's just things that we come across that opened up new doorways of temptation for us. Things that seem to be innocuous like his new car or their new kitchen. That new pair of shoes. That sweet new upgrade. Their new TV. Do you ever think to yourself, I just wish I had never seen it? Don't you wish that you never saw her? And instead of your eyes going back for a, uh, take two, you just turned your head away. What we saw impacted uh, the direction of our lives. Data came in through our eyes, and then it goes into our minds, it goes down into our hearts. And the next thing we know, it is being worked out in our bodies. And our behaviors are following what our eyes have seen. And if we could just go back and unsee that, 
Well, life might be different. And I'm sure that there are some people that you would like to go back and unmeet. You know, I just wish I had never met her. I wish I had not returned that call. I wish I had deleted that text. I wish our kids weren't in the same playgroup. I wish, I wish, I wish. But you did what was right in your own eyes. Your eyes took you in a direction. And those things, those people, those purchases, those indulgences became a trap. They became a snare just like the nation of Israel. And isn't this true? The things that capture our attention capture our affection. The next thing you know, they determine our direction. And the direction of our lives is not from the inside out. It's from the outside in. And then we are just living, dating, getting in debt like everybody else. And I know this, even though we've never spoken about this, we've never sat down and have a conversation about this. I know that you never decided one day in your life that you just want to be like everybody else. So he goes on. He set this up with the idea, it starts out feeling good, but then it will go bad. Until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. And one of the struggles that the nation of Israel had looks an awful, like, awful lot like one of the struggles that many of us have. Probably all of us have. Probably all of us had this struggle to one degree or another at one time or another or maybe even in a cyclical path. And the question is summarized really well with what do you believe? And we talk in church a lot about the creeds and these are the things that we believe and here's our theology. And one of the key pieces that we don't really mention in that one of the struggles that Israel um, was really struggling with there, they thought God was trying to keep something good from them instead of giving something good to them. And they felt like, man, if, if I obey God's laws, we're going to miss out on something good. And God is saying, no, if you obey my laws, you're going to miss out on something bad. Yeah, but look at them. Look at her. Look at him. Look at what they're doing. And God goes, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to keep something good from you. I'm trying to give something good to you. And the nation, the nation just couldn't help themselves. They looked around and they looked around at all those surrounding pagan nations and all the different things that they were doing and all the ways that they lived and how it was different from them. And they just couldn't help themselves. And God, it just feels like if we follow your rules and we say yes to you, we're going to have to say no to so many good things, things that we want. God, we just can't do it. So if you're considering becoming a follower of God, if you're considering becoming a Christian, if you're considering re-engaging with Jesus, shaking off kind of a lapsed, partially forgotten relationship, or maybe, maybe you're awesome and you're, and you're totally tight with Jesus right now, Wherever you are, wherever you are in this cycle, one of the things that you're going to have to, and this is for your own sake, right? It's not for anyone else. There's no test that matters for someone else. This is for you. One of the questions that you need to know and decide for yourself, a question that you need to answer, and don't wimp out and just say, I don't want to think about it. One of the things that I hope that you'll come back for every single week to follow, to get to the answer of this question, is God for me 
Or is God keeping something good from me? It's, it's uh, part of the fundamental relationship to God. How do we view him? Do I believe God is for me or do I believe that deep down inside God, the almighty maker of heaven and earth is somehow entertained by keeping something good from me? Do I believe that God is for me or as an individual, do I believe that by saying yes to God, I'm going to miss out on things that are actually good for me so that when I get to heaven, God is going to say to me, hey, good job and here's your reward. I'm so glad that you didn't do all those good things. I'm so glad that you weren't involved in that good stuff. Good things that I said no to. Thanks for suffering through your life unnecessarily by saying no to many good things. You need to answer that question once and for all so that you can come back to your own answer when that question comes back up because of new circumstances. This is not a new problem. It's not a recent issue. It's not a a, a newly developed thing. If we go back way, way, way back to the beginning of time, the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the book of Genesis, and you look at the story of Adam and Eve, the very first temptation recorded in history, the very first temptation um, that takes place according to Jewish tradition, Christian tradition, and even Islamic tradition, the very first temptation was the temptation to believe that God was against the human race and not for it. And the deceiver came to Adam and Eve and he said, Hey, God told you not to eat anything from that tree. Hmm. He said something bad would happen? Hmm. Actually, if you eat from that tree, something good will happen. God can't be trusted. God is trying to keep something good from you, not trying to give something good to you. (coughs) So wherever you are in your religious pursuit, wherever you are with this Jesus thing, every day of your life and every section, every season of followership, we're going to have to wrestle with that question because it keeps coming back up. Is God for me or is God trying to keep something good from me? And the nation of Israel, well, they erred on the side of saying God is trying to keep something good from us. And Joshua pleaded with the people, don't go there. Don't believe that lie because your God is trying to keep you in a good land. He brought you to this land. He provided it for you. He wants it for you. And then it goes on in 24, 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. This is as they're going into the land. They're going in. They're going to go get set up. They're setting up their new way of life. And he's telling them, if there's anything that you have at home, if there's anything that you have in your life, If there's anything that you have in your family, if there's anything in your closet, if there's anything stashed under your mattress, if there's anything, um, that, that little box that you keep just in case, just in case, if there's something that has the potential to draw you away from your king, your God, Joshua says, he begs, he pleads with them, get rid of it. Throw it away. Go to extreme measures because it is extremely important. Walking away is extremely dangerous, and it won't look extremely dangerous. And then he makes the next statement. It's, it's, the, it's a big one, and it's super easy, especially when we're reading the Bible, especially when we're reading the Old Testament, to just zip right on by. You just keep going. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are, that are among you, and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Yield your hearts, and here's why. The kingdom of God, the invisible kingdom of God, is a kingdom of conscience. 
The way the kingdom of God works is that the kingdom of conscience works in us from the inside and it comes out. God wants to do something inside of you that impacts the way that you live your life. He does something inside that impacts the outside. And so we pray, God, renew my mind. Make my mind new. Reformat it. I want the system upgrade. I need the new operating system. Help me to think like you think. So here's a practical step that you can take. It's in your, um, your, your hand out there if you've got it. If you, if you don't have one of those, write this part down because you're going to want to have this. Here's a pray that you, prayer you can put into your daily routine. Pray it, I don't know, three times. Pray it six times a day. Whatever. Pray it regularly. And the prayer is this. God, help me to see as you see and do as you do. God, help me to see as you see and do as you say. God, help me to see people the way you see them. God, help me to treat people the way you treat them. God, help me to see money as you see it and spend it as you say. God, I want to see as you see. I want to see as you see. I don't want to see like everyone else, everyone else around me sees. God, I am, I am plagued by that already. When I wake up in the morning, Help me to see as you see so I can do as you say. Because if, if the world looks the way you see it, then what you ask me to do is going to make perfect sense. But if I keep seeing the world the way everybody else around me wants me to see it, then what they do makes perfect sense. And I'm torn. But God, I'm old enough and God, I've seen enough that I know I don't want to just be like everybody else. The kingdom of, of God is the kingdom of the heart. It oozes from the inside and it comes out. And this is why Joshua says to the people, yield your heart. Because if you yield your hearts and allow him to do in your hearts what God wants to do, you will be predisposed to obey the will of God. And on the flip side, the kingdom of the world is a kingdom of covet. Everything that comes through my senses, my eyes, my ears, my nose, my hands, it all wants to come in and dictate my behavior. It wants to dictate to me the way I see the world, dictate the way I, I think about people, dictate the way I think about money, dictate the way I think about sex, dictate the way I think about my family, dictate the way I, th I think about everything. And it grows and it expands as the kingdom of covet. And that kingdom rules from the outside in. And what Joshua was trying to say to the nation, and that I would plead with you to consider, is that these are two very, very, very different ways and approaches to life. And I bet you're smart enough to see that this is true. I think that you're smart enough to realize that from the inside out is better. And if you're a parent regardless of whether or not you have any God kind of side in your life, I bet this is the way that you're bringing your kids up. We are made in the image of God, which means that the spirit or the life of God inhabits all of us. And there is enough image of God in all of us to know that life is better when it's lived from a healthy inside out. Instead of taking my cues from everybody else and allowing it to pollute and dilute my heart. So Joshua says to the nation. I want you to be an inside-out kingdom. I want you to be a kingdom where you can allow your hearts to be yielded to God, shaped by God, so that you can see as God sees. And if you see as God sees, 
then you can see the people around you as God sees them. You will see the culture around you the way God sees it. And you will have compassion, but you will not be conformed. You will have empathy, but you will not embrace. You will love them, but you will not be led by them. Because God wants to lead us from the inside out. And honestly, when you hear it like that, doesn't that sound better? Isn't that the way forward? Isn't it true that your greatest regret, my greatest regret, would have been avoided if I was living from the kingdom of conscience and not the kingdom of covet? So what else would you expect God, who is your loving Heavenly Father, to say? So I want to leave you with a question. A question today, and we're going to pick this up, not next week, but the week after. That's when, again, we're going to look at Samson, who did basically everything wrong. So uh, it's a great primer for you on how to live wrong. Uh, But that's what makes this story so interesting and so compelling after so many years. The question is this. Have you yielded your heart to the Lord your God? Where will you take your cues from? Are you just doing life like everybody else and being swept up on the path without thinking? Are you just living in the kingdom of covet when you could be living in the freedom of the kingdom of conscience? It's not even have you ever. It's not have you ever yielded your heart, but have you yielded your heart recently? Have you recently chosen to yield your heart to the Lord your God? To help you with that, I'm going to give you a super, super handy little snippet that comes from King David. So another thing you've got to write down, another thing you've got to remember. And I want to challenge you to read this out loud every day for one week. And if you get wound up in the joy of it and you love it so much and you want to go for two weeks, that's okay. Try this out. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's okay. Jesus wasn't born when this was written. If you don't believe in God, that's okay too, because you know that it won't hurt anything then, right? But what if there really is a God who really is interested in you? What if there is a God and he loves you deeply? What if he can do something inside you and begin to change your heart so that you can live from a healthy inside and then move that to outside? Yes, I do mean read it out loud because I want you to hear you saying it. Okay, so let me read it for you first. It's from Psalm 119, 35 to 37. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Once a week. No, once a day for the week. So just to get you warmed up a little bit, let's read it out loud together right now. You can see it. It's here, right? Perfect. Well, some of you can see it. It depends on, you know. Uh, Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Do you think you can do that for one week? Here's the bigger question. Will you choose to do that this week? Put it on your mirror. 
Put it on your bedside table. Put it on your desk at work. Put it in your locker at school. This might just start an entirely new chapter in your life. A new focus. A new drive. A new purpose. Now living from the inside out. A heart yielded to your heavenly Father. And then prompted by the Holy Spirit. Which transitions us beautifully into the story about a new life that was purchased for you by the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the story that we're asking you to get wrapped up in. And as we talk about Advent in the next coming weeks, this is the story that we want you to be invited into, to get into on purpose because you chose it. And so today, we choose to remember that story. We choose to remember what God has done for us. We choose to remember that Jesus of his own free will said, I will come. I will give my life. And as I do that, my life will be transformative for my people. It'll be healing for my people. And so he gave his life. And we celebrate that in the bread. And then we celebrate the lifeblood in the cup. And we celebrate the story of Jesus as we do this. And as we're doing this, we are saying, Jesus, once again, I want to willingly yield myself. We yield my heart to your lordship. I want you to be in charge. That's why I'm doing this. I want to be connected with you. I want to see as you see so that I can do as you say. And today I will once again choose to submit myself to your lordship. And if that's your desire, then we want to welcome you. We want to welcome you to participate in this moment. To take the bread, to take the cup. We'll pass them out to you today. And I'd ask today again that you would hold them until everyone's got it so that we can participate together. Okay? Kind Father, thank you again for the plan that you put in motion through the graciousness of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to set me free. To set us free. Thank you for the gift of your life. Thank you for the gift of your death. Thank you for the new life that comes through you and only you. It is our desire to lift up the name of Jesus. Because we believe as we do that, you will call all people to yourself. And we are not selfish. We don't want this just for us. We want this for all people. So we lift you up, Jesus, and we ask 
that you would continue to call all people to yourself and continue to use us, work in partnership with us to make a difference in our world, in our work, in our play, in our school, in our town, Stouffville, in our region of York, in our province of Ontario, in the country of Canada, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. We celebrate your Lordship today, and we thank you. We thank you again for how you have served us so graciously. May we serve also. Thank you. Now, as one family, take and eat. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that his love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. I believe that the more we connect, the better it gets. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of this celebration. I want to welcome you to lunch today. If you want to eat, have I got a deal for you. We're going to have lunch together. And if you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. We're going to go to the Mitchell's house. And uh, they know about this. And uh, we're going to have lunch there. But as I send you out, I want to remind you of some things. That as a family, we are Christ-centered. And we are spirit-empowered. And we are mission-focused. And that mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. 